Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for Data Mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released during that week. It's designed to help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time to listen to, as interview episodes and panels are typically more than one hour long. In general, if you were running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, Data Mesh Understanding. So get in touch if I can be of help. Check out our free community programs and things like that as well. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of June 4th, 2023. Recording this well ahead of time because of my move to the Netherlands. So, you know, in the next few weeks, look for lots of roundtables. And this is also when you need to get in your requests for your June introductions with that introduction program that's running. So with that, what's on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 228, Keeping Your Eyes on the Prize, the Data Value Chain, which is an interview with Tina Albrecht from Exida. So we discussed Tina's work coming in to clean up a data mesh implementation that hadn't gone all that well at the start and what to look for as signs your implementation might be headed in kind of that same direction and not a great, great kind of outcome direction. How to keep your focus on generating value from data work, how to measure if something is kind of quote unquote good enough for right now and when to consider reevaluating and improving that, right? How do you, is it good enough for now? How do I keep an eye on when it's no longer good enough? And especially how to keep the organizational side from becoming your biggest challenge from being something that's, that's really draining on your data mesh implementation. On Friday, we have episode 229, Making Agile Work in Data, Mesh Musings number 49. So I dig into why so many people seem to be against the capital A Agile in data and how you can adopt the mindset and approach of Agile. Jamak has talked about the Agile Manifesto and how great it was, but what people have taken (laughs) it to be, it's not so great. So how can we do this without it becoming more of a burden than a help? Things are done because, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be done instead of this will, because this will make our teams happier and more efficient. We need to be more on that second one. So what are a few common pitfalls and what are the the strong leverage points? And quite honestly, capital A Agile isn't for everyone. The spirit of Agile probably should be for every organization. So maybe go read that Agile manifesto, but in data, the one size fits all approaches are obviously breaking more and more. We have to augment these approaches for each different organization. So work with your teams and talk about what you want to achieve and collaborate with them to get there. Yes, easier said than done, but you know, I believe in you. So with that, on to the extended summary for Tina's episode.
extended summary for episode 228, Keeping Your Eyes on the Prize, the Data Value Chain, an interview with Tina Albrecht. So in this episode, I interviewed Tina, who's the lead coach for data-driven transformation at the consulting company Exida. Tina started with some of the big questions you will need to constantly ask yourself in a data transformation. Is this good enough? Is this good enough for now? What is changing and how is it changing? How are the milestones, what are the milestones we want to hit? And looking back, what have we hit? Like, let's look at our journey to date. And often overlooked is how is or was the team feeling during that aspect of that transformation? Those questions can help you narrow in on how well your transformation is going. And let's face it, data transformation doesn't stop. It's not really transformation because transformation kind of has an endpoint, but that's the word that we use for it, right? And a good three-layer system that she she looks at is to think about when breaking this conversation down about you know how is our transformation going, the surface layer of what happened in the past and where things are now, right? One layer deeper is where could they go if you know you had a stronger data capability, and the bottom layer is you know being okay, like how do we get where we want to go? How do we actually go to getting those stronger capabilities? When actually measuring whether a current solution is, you know, kind of quote unquote good enough, Tina recommends two measures or questions to consider. The first is how happy are people with the current process? Happiness is a decent measure of effectiveness. If people are happy, working hard to improve the process probably doesn't make financial sense. The return isn't there. People are already happy. And unless they're really happy with a really, really ineffective process, then you've kind of got a good indicator. The other aspect is to think about how much effectiveness of the process is lost to constraints and bottlenecks. This analysis will give you good insight into the process and provide the perspective on if it is currently good enough. Tina talked about two ways most data mesh implementations seem to be going wrong to her. The first is how teams are actually interacting with each other the team and the domain setup, right? This is kind of getting team topologies wrong. There are often breakdowns in how teams collaborate together. So things that should be explicitly owned and bridged between the teams just keep getting dropped, right? This is that what I've talked about personally about the making the implicit explicit, right? The other aspect that she sees that has uh, kind of caused some data mesh implementations to, to not work so well is data ownership, where domains won't take data ownership and or don't understand data ownership. We need the platform team to own enabling domains to leverage the platform. But if the domains keep trying to push work back to the central platform team or not owning the data well enough, then that central team has to step in to help. If that happens, the platform team can't get the necessary platform work done to do data mesh. And they become that centralized bottleneck again. They don't have the real (laughs) domain expertise. They don't have the business context to own that data well. That's what we're trying to get away from. So if you start to sense that, that's a big red flag, a big warning sign. In Data Mesh, Tina believes there is still a lack of understanding by domains of what data ownership means. What are they actually supposed to be responsible for? You can help domains better understand data ownership by making sure they have necessary embedded data engineering talent within the domain to actually be capable of owning data as more domain members learn how to own data. 
and you need strong governance capabilities to help teams understand how to operate data between domains easily. Tina talked about with one client, they're rotating embedded data engineers between domains and the central platform team. So the domains become more data capable and you have a wider knowledge base across the base about data across the organization as those data engineers share that knowledge with each other and the organization. And just having a simple community or guild for the data engineers wasn't enough. They needed to go with the embedded model instead. A central hub and a central team managing the data engineers' careers has been very important to keeping people happy. Scott note here, one is Rosiers has talked about this since, you know, 2021. And I think it's a really important topic that you need to dig into because if your data engineering people aren't happy, we're not in a space where we can build a good enough platform right now that our generalist developer can really just do all the data work that's necessary. And so if you lose that talent, you kind of lose a lot of your capability to do data mesh. Similarly, Tina talked about how while team topologies is a great tool for organizing your teams in data mesh, it's only a tool. If you don't understand your value chain, remember that the whole episode is about your data value chain. If you don't really focus on how you create value via data, it won't save your data mesh implementation. Start from value first. Team topologies is a great tool. Jamak loves it, but, right? In data mesh, is data mesh right for your organization? Great question. When Tina is assessing that question for clients, a great starting question is simply what changes? What value would come from doing data mesh? If there isn't a clear as to what would be better and how that would drive clear value, and a large amount of value too, data mesh is not a light undertaking then will data mesh really align with the business strategy and drive value? Scott note, I think these questions are really crucial to answer. If you don't know what will change, if you start to do data much better, if you do this well, and how that ties to business value, you shouldn't do it. You need to understand how this is going to actually drive value before you invest the time and effort into doing it. For Tina, in general, in data work, there are two big areas where value is blocked or lost along the value chain. This is something a lot of people look at with kind of value streams mapping and stuff. She mentioned earlier, lack of clear ownership and responsibility is a big one. People understand how value is generated, but it's unclear who owns what, and so major needs along the value chain aren't met. Basically, no one thinks they own these crucial aspects, and so they don't get done. The other is, again, simply bottlenecks. Where are things blocked and where are dots not connected? Once you identify issues in either aspect, you should have your areas to target to drive more value related to those specific processes, right? Look for where you're actually dropping the ball relative to these processes and drive in, get specific. A key aspect of transformation for Tina is deep clarity. There are so many things that are changing. Who owns what? And what outcomes do they own? What is actually being done and why? There needs to be strong governance leadership that lays out many aspects rather than leaving things to chance. It doesn't have to be heavy-handed governance, but ensuring things will work together and that someone owns making them work together is the best way to ensure a successful data transformation. 
data mesh or otherwise. And you have to stay on top of things. It's not a one and done kind of transformation. This is always ongoing. This is why we've, as a community, really adopted the, the phrase journey. It's a data mesh journey. It's not like necessarily just an implementation where you think about that implementation ending. We're continually on our journey. Intentionality around communication is also crucial to successful data transformation for Tina. Over-communication is a virtue. Data isn't about the ones and zeros. It's about sharing information via those ones and zeros. So you need to be explicit in setting expectations and creating mechanisms for people to exchange information, especially across domains. Have regularly scheduled workshops to actually get people exchanging crucial context. It's like a good relationship. You need to continue to work on your communication. I don't know how many people are in long-term relationships or have seen like well-working long-term relationships. It's not as if they figured everything out at the beginning and nothing has changed. They continue to work to get better. Many think that information exchange at the actual ones and zeros level, but we need to exchange information with each other constantly too. That isn't the actual literal data. Otherwise, there are too many incorrect implicit assumptions. And again, balls get dropped and value is needlessly lost. Tina made a somewhat comical but very true point. When you are doing a large-scale change to how you do data work, if there isn't anyone saying they are confused, it's probably a bad sign because large-scale change is difficult and inherently change will be at least a bit confusing for most. So if no one is speaking up, they probably have bad implicit assumptions you need to address, but you don't know what they are, or they're not leaned in enough to actually even care enough to lean in and, and ask about the confusion. At least with confusion, you can drill into where they don't get it. Lean into that confusion because it creates the perfect situation to actually exchange context and drive people to the same page instead of just assuming they're on that page. While it is incredibly difficult to provide an exact value of data and data work, it, it, and it will be valued differently by different people, so you know your rubric's always going to be kind of different and things like that, Tina still asks people, what is the purpose of doing the data work? Why do we care about this data, this specific data work? That will tell us the general value of it, if not a specific value figure. Hopefully it sounds like some awesome episodes for you coming up this week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey, helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music. Mm -hmm.